Uh, okay, uh, spiritual emphasis days last week. Who loved having Joel here last week, eh? Wow. Uh, okay, as much as I loved having Joel here, uh, there was a story that I really wanted to tell about uh, when he was my Omega director and I was in Omega, but I just didn't want to share it because it's going to take a couple minutes to share, and then I didn't want to take into his time of preaching, and I didn't want to, uh, anyway, so I'm going to share it now. You good with that? Yeah. yeah okay, great. So uh, in my Omega year, there was this like theme for birthday parties. Uh, in our Omega class, that we tried to, like, give birthday surprises for as many people as we possibly could, uh, and got totally overwhelmed by it halfway through the year, (laughs) and filtered out really poorly at the end. Anyways, um, Joel's birthday was in the fall semester, and we wanted to do a surprise birthday party for our Omega director, and we wanted to make it really big and really special, and so what we did was, his office at the time was where Brent's office is downstairs in the chapel here, and Sylvia, his assistant, uh, was like right next door where the sound and media room is, if you know where Brent's office is in the sound and media room. That was like Joel and Sylvia's office combo uh, in this building. And so what we did is we took over the Omega, like whole Omega um, crew, took over the second floor lounge and we decorated it and we got cake and we got uh, pop and we got all the kind of stuff for a little birthday shindig in the second floor lounge. And then we asked Sylvia for some help to distract Joel. And then four of us, myself, my intern, and a couple other people, um, we dressed up in all black and had like balaclavas on and black shirts and black pants. And we had this whole thing planned out where we were going to kidnap Joel for his birthday and really give him a surprise that he would have no idea what's going on. So we told Sylvia what, what we needed from her, and so she was all for it. And then the four of us communicated ahead of time, where in the event of the actual kidnapping, we never said a word. Like, we were dead silent the entire time, but we all knew what our responsibilities were, and we all knew what we had to do in the process of doing it to make it happen. So I was the guy with the pillowcase and uh, the arms that were to go around his body. And so I had to kind of go like this to him, right, because he's a little shorter. And, uh, And then there was Mike who was the guy that was like sitting on his legs and then duct taping his legs. And then we had another guy, Chris Luff. Uh, He was the guy that had the zap straps for his arm. And then we had a guy named Blair who was in his truck right outside here uh, that we were going to throw him in the back of his truck. And so we had this whole thing planned out and we executed it perfectly. It was wonderful. And there's Joel who is freaking out, uh, laughing his head off going, guys, guys, what's going on? And I had the pillowcase over top of him and we wrestled him down to the ground. We duct taped his legs. We uh, strapped his hands together, duct taped over his arms so he could do nothing, all in complete dead silence. While Sylvia is saying, Joel, I'm so sorry. I knew this whole time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) We picked Joel up. We uh, fireman carry him to the back of Blair's truck. We put him in the back of Blair's truck. The three of us sit in the back. We go down the hill. We go back up the hill. Uh, We go into the Holdcroft, we're carrying him over our shoulders, we plunk him down on a chair, and then we take the pillowcase off of his head. And everybody's like, surprise, happy birthday! And it was awesome. He loved it, he laughed, he was really sweaty, uh, but it was wonderful. Uh, I had that thought last week that I wanted to share, and then I had another thought last week that I want to share now. Uh, It was was wonderful to have uh, a a professor of mine back after so long. It had been 20 years, right? 
Um, but what was also really cool is that there was at one point he took a photo where he said, hey, here's a student of mine now as campus pastor. And I thought, oh, that's really meaningful. But the thought I had was, I wonder what student now here in 15, 20 years from now is going to ask the old Omega, Mr. Levine, the old director at that point, back to speak at Spiritual Emphasis Days. And I thought, that's a wonderful thought, Lord. Which student in this room, which students are going to be on staff, maybe even potentially as campus pastors, to have the opportunity to invite a staff member to come back after years of ministry here? And they may very well be sitting in this room. Who knows? That was a thought I had. So thank you, Lord. Anybody remember what he talked about last week? Yeah? What were some of the things that he talked about last week? Oh, dealing with discouragement, number one, Dakota, way to go. Dealing with discouragement. Resurgence, Wednesday night. Okay, does, do you remember the three? Inward, outward, and inward, upwards, and outwards, yes, yep. Okay, dealing with discouragement, resurgence. Urgency to what? The harvest, the harvest, there we go. And that within the harvest, there's two things. There's opportunity and challenge. Come on, Mariah. Okay, there was also one more. Yay, I was going to go like this to see if anybody got it. Seven miles of walking and the treasures of what? D darkness. Katie, well done. That's right. So uh, specifically on the resurgence um, Wednesday night, Kim and I were talking about afterwards and kind of did a bit of a debrief and, and our stroll back up. That is kind of our thing now after Wednesday night chapels to our offices. And uh, just kind of wondering, okay, what's the next step to follow up? There's this one-off Wednesday. Had some thoughts in my head about what to speak on. Uh, and we have our guests next week and whatnot. So this one-off, what, what could... What could potentially be a good topic to share to the students? And so um, Kim gave this passage that I, I read through and really enjoyed it, so thank you, and um, was really encouraged and really convicted uh, and really challenged uh, this week, and I hope it's challenging and convicting and encouraging to you as well. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this passage. Uh, on the Wednesday night resurgence um, sermon, Joel gave examples of people who were filled with the Spirit and how they responded to being filled with the Spirit. And there was a specific example that he talked about with Peter and John. Uh, and so this, uh, this story is found in Acts chapter 4. And so we're going to go through this story together tonight. And if you have your Bibles, uh, open it up to Acts chapter 4. If you don't, uh, open your phone to the YouVersion Bible app to Acts chapter 4. I don't actually have all the scripture verses up on the screen. And so if you want to follow along, which I would love for you to do, you need to open up your Bible or open up your Bible app. Okay? I'm going with the ESV translation tonight. Classic. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for what you're doing already this evening. Thank you for what you will continue to do in these next few minutes as we open up your word. We submit to it. And we look forward to what you're going to say. I pray our hearts uh, would be challenged, that our ears would be open to hear what you would have for us. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. 
Okay, so uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 1, and uh, like settle in, because like we're doing the whole chapter tonight. You ready for it? Okay, good. We're going to have a good time. Uh, it says in verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, they, was Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So a bit of a precursor to the next day of what's going to happen. Like Joel did, remember, context and go back a chapter, we're going to do the same thing. So what, if you do, if you flip your page back a chapter and you look into chapter 2, chapter 3, what happens is, is the beginning of the church, right? We know the day of Pentecost happens, and it's the birth of the local church. And there's some really cool things that take place at the beginning of the church. One of the things that took place was Peter just outside the temple, and this is the story that Joel quickly went over on Wednesday night last week, is that uh, Peter met a, a lame, crippled man at the beautiful gate, right? You know the story? If you don't, it's chapter three, okay? And this lame man who would be brought to the temple gate, beautiful, each day would beg for money or for resources or for food. And uh, people would go to the temples at nine o'clock in the morning, at noon in the afternoon, or at three o'clock in the afternoon. And here in the ninth hour at three in the afternoon, there's people walking in and the beggar was begging for money or for food or for clothing or whatever. And Peter notices, notices him. And what does he do? He Bends down, he looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have is, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And I love the, uh, the yes, the miracle is beautiful. Yes, the miracle is amazing. But there's a, a portion in verse 11 in, in chapter 3 that I love. It says, after that he was healed, he began to walk and leap and praising God. And in verse 7, it says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly amazed. And I think, what a beautiful picture. Here's this man. Uh, in the next chapter, it says he's over the age of 40. So a real elderly man, right? Uh, age 40 plus clinging to Peter. And there's this uh, ruckus going on. There's this commotion going on in the temple because here's this man that has been lame his whole life is now standing and leaping and proclaiming praises to God and clinging to Peter as Peter starts preaching to everybody in the temple court area. A really cool scene. So that's, that's what's going on. Thousands of people are getting saved. Here it says in chapter 4 that the men had reached up to 5,000 people, plus women and children. We've got a few thousand at this early church, this now mega church in Jerusalem, is beginning to move and to make waves. So this is what's going on. Peter's preaching. Healings are taking place. There's tension because the Sadducees and the religious leaders are upset that Peter is preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. Because they object to the resurrection of Jesus. This is blasphemy. And so they arrest them and they put them in jail for the night. What a night. What a day. Wouldn't that be exciting to be a part of? Yes. Wouldn't that be exciting to be a part of? Yeah, wow. 
Okay, if you know me, I like a little bit of response. I like a little bit of back and forth engagement. It makes us a bit more enjoyable. In verse five, it says this. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they being Peter and John, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen? Okay, I want you to remember the word cornerstone. Turn to your neighbor and say cornerstone. Okay, Luke writes here specifically... Uh, in verse 5 and on, he talks about three different like leadership groups. He talks about elders, he talks about rulers, and he mentions scribes. So elders would be like lay leaders uh, in the system. Scribes were like the Pharisaic class of lawyers uh, that were there. The rulers would be like the Sanhedrin. And then mentions by name the chief priest, Annas, the high priest, and the son-in-law of Annas, which is Caiaphas, and then also mentions the names John and Alexander. And essentially, what Luke is saying is that they were all there, right? They were all there. And really, the leadership here of the temple is this niche family. It's like a couple powerful families that did that intermarrying style, and they're running the show all together. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we've experienced that in our own lives and places where it's like, oh, really? It's just a few couple families that have all the power and all the authority. And that's the case here. There's a few members and a few families that have all the authority. And they ask the question, by what power or by what name did you do this? We've heard that question before. This isn't the first time they've asked this question. Peter himself claims to have no power. He says, but it's only through the power of the resurrection of Jesus that he speaks on behalf of. And we've heard this question before. Actually, all four Gospels have a reference to this question being asked before. I'm going to use specifically Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, when Jesus returned to the temple and he began teaching, the leading priests and elders came up to him. And they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Here's a replication of the same question asked of Jesus, now being asked of Peter. If you were to read the book of Luke specifically and the book of Acts, it's the same author. There is repetition in storyline in those two books as a part A and a part B. 
And what Luke is doing is he's transferring authority over from Jesus to the church when they're performing the same things in which Jesus did himself. And so the religious leaders and the high priest, he's saying, who gave you the authority? By what power and by what name? We're the ones who have the market cornered on power. We're the ones that have it covered on the authority piece. And Peter, who is filled with the Spirit, it says, as he was filled with the Spirit, he spoke in boldness. He spoke with courage. He spoke with a spiritual authority that was not of his own. And Peter spoke of the cornerstone. He said, Jesus is the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else except Jesus alone. Amen? For there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is the fisherman. This is the the over-emotional fisherman. This is the over-reactor in situations. Here speaking with such courage. And boldness. This is the guy that is full of good intentions, but makes poor decisions, is now in front of these authority figures and speaking with boldness and courage. Jesus is the cornerstone. And see, this too was promised by Jesus to his disciples. It says in uh, Luke chapter 21, this is uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples about the end times, that nations are going to fight against nations and that kingdoms are going to go against kingdoms and there's going to be famines and there's going to be earthquakes. And this is what it says in Luke 21. But before all of this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, check and check. And you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers, check. But this will be your opportunity to tell about me. Isn't that great? This will be your opportunity to tell about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or to refute you. Isn't that encouraging? Actually, he says in chapter 12, he says, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what needs to be said. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> like, I'm not to worry about it. Because the Holy Spirit will give me the words that is need to be spoken at the right time. The Lord will give us the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or to refute you. And he says, salvation is through Jesus Christ and his resurrection power alone. And he spoke with this boldness and this courage. And we see in verse 13 that they recognized this boldness in Peter. They recognized this courage that was on display It says in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Check and check. They could not reply or refute. They had nothing to say in opposition. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? 
For what a notable sign has been performed through them, which is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they charged them to not speak or teach at at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than Right in the sight of God, to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all, were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they saw the boldness in Peter, and John, these uneducated, these common men, they were astonished. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Not only did Peter speak with, with this boldness, not only did he, he share to all with a confidence and this spiritual authority, but he also shared with a biblical literacy. Like he quoted scripture as he spoke. And as he quoted scripture, he would have done so with an authority in his voice. This uneducated, common man who would not have been in this education system, would not have been educated by these religious affiliated leaders, are saying, how does he know this? How does he know this information? How does he have this authority in him that's showcased? And remember, 50 plus days earlier, This same Peter is cutting ears off somebody, right? This same Peter is denying Christ not once, but three times. I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. There's no way it's him. I don't know. The same person 50 days later. You think you're unqualified? You think you're unqualified to receive the Spirit or to speak in front of those you do not know? Here is a man who was gravely unqualified and yet reinstated and empowered, filled with the Spirit. You see the the replication of what's taken place in Peter's life? Jesus healed people who were lame. Jesus spoke using Scripture and authority Jesus spoke using scripture and authority towards the religious leaders, and here Peter is doing the exact same. You, get up, walk. Jesus, the resurrection power in Christ and Christ alone. He speaks with authority in his voice to refute the religious leaders who want all the power to themselves. Remember the the cornerstone word? Okay? Okay. So when Peter was talking about the stone that the builders rejected, that he is the cornerstone, he is quoting Psalm 118. Okay? So there is a Psalm 118 that talks about the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And yes, the religious leaders would have known this psalm. And and even the Jews would have known this this, uh, psalm. They would have known this verse. But more so than just him quoting Psalm 118, what Peter did is he replicated Christ quoting Psalm 118. 
So we're going to go back. Remember that, that Matthew 21 passage, that question, who gave you this authority? That same passage, okay? That same passage later on down, the, again, they're asking Jesus. These same religious leaders are asking Jesus, who gave you this authority? Jesus, uh, <laughs> Jesus says to them, didn't you ever read this in Scripture? Gives like a little jab, right? Didn't you ever read this in Scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, Jesus says to these religious leaders. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this, they realized he was telling the story about them. So in that moment, Jesus is saying, I am the cornerstone. And you, the builders, this is you. It's going to crush you. It's going to fall on you, and there's going to be a new nation that's going to take your place. And they had that spoken over them. So they crucified him and killed him. Don't believe in the resurrection, but now here's a man who is doing the exact same thing that happened to them just a couple months earlier. Wait a second, cornerstone. Wait a second, we've heard this before. Are you talking about us? No, no, we're the ones that have this authority and power. Who are you to say this over my life? And there is Peter speaking to this inner echelon, speaking to this power family that wants all of it. And he said, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, has become the cornerstone. Luke is transferring this authority over from Jesus to the church. And so what they respond with is, oh, they have been with Jesus. They're saying the same thing Jesus said to us. He is saying the same thing that we heard before. This guy must have been with Jesus. Now most of us are in this room are not going to have opportunities to stand in front of officials, to stand in front of kings, to stand in front of governors, and to talk about the resurrection power of Jesus. Most of us in this room, in our lives, it's not going to happen. But a lot of us have some unsaved family that have no clue about Jesus. Me being one of them. We may not stand in front of prime ministers or presidents, but we have unsaved friends in our contact list that we could share about Jesus and the power of his resurrection. We may not be standing on stages with thousands of people listening, but we have people who we work with, people that when we go home during Christmas or summer breaks or the ministries and churches that we're a part of, where they're still seeking and looking for answers and the answer is only found in Jesus. Amen? Like it would be wonderful to have that kind of ruckus and that kind of uh, movement in the spirit of God and people giving their lives to the Lord daily. <clears throat> but we also have people in our lives that are desperate need of Jesus. Desperate need of hearing about his love and his grace. Now, we can get so caught up into our, our programs. We can get so caught up into the perfection of our preaching and our songs. 
And yes, these leaders, they noticed the authority of his speech. They noticed how in which that he produced these words. But it wasn't about Peter. They noticed who Peter had been with. Amen? They recognized that he had been with Jesus. That's my prayer for you guys. That is my prayer for you. That is my hope for you. That no matter where you serve, no matter what you do, if you speak or if you sing or if you're serving in whatever capacity, as, you're, as you write, as you share a meal, as you live a life with, as you build into relationships and friendships, that people would respond to you with, whoa, this person has been with Jesus. I recognize that this person has spent significant time with Jesus in their life. Peter's posture and authority mimics that of Christ. God desires that our posture and that our authority would mimic him. Of humility and not arrogance. Of courage and not just self-confidence. That what you say, it would sound like Jesus. That, that God's word would be written on your heart, right? Or as the psalm says, that, that I would hide his word, his laws on my heart, that I might not sin against him. Right? Scripture says that what is in our, excuse me, what is in our heart flows out of our mouth. That we would hide his word in our hearts so that as we speak, it is his words as Peter spoke the words of Christ. That as you live your life, what you say, how you spend your money, how you treat other people, how you spend your time, that it would reflect that you spend time with Jesus. Amen? Uh, verse 14, it says, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, not clinging to him at that moment, which I still love that picture, they had nothing to say in opposition. They had nothing to say in opposition. Can we be people that lets the world respond to our fruit? Right? That's a, that's a fruit of their labor. That's what that was. Through the power of God in his life, this man was healed. And so they responded to the fruit. We can't produce the fruit, right? As we talked about so far this year and last semester, we work, we sacrifice, we give, we submit, we work on the root and the fruit part, right? Remember that? That just comes about through the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so that people would respond to the fruit of our lives, they would say, oh man, that person is a person of love. Look at the joy of that person on their day-to-day -day walk. That we would be people known for our fruit rather than our opinion on something. That we would be someone who is known for the gentleness of our posture and our life and not our stance or defense of something. That the world would respond to our faithfulness and to our kindness. That we are people of self-control. <clears throat> rather than just how passionate you are about a project. That the world would respond to our fruit. That when someone speaks to you, they would say, hmm, they've been with Jesus. Yes? 
So they let them go, right? They, they talked together, these powerful little families, and they said, we don't like this, but we can't do anything about it, so we're just going to let them go. And so they go. So we're going to keep going. Don't worry, we get to the, the simple stuff now. Verse 23. Uh, when they re- were released, they went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined them to take place. Talk about a long run-on sentence prayer, right? <laughs> like there's some people that just continually go and go and go in their prayer. That's one of them right there. And what does that even mean? They're throwing in Pontius Pilate. They're throwing in Herod. They're talking about quoting scripture from, from David. And in verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with Speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, they, the place in which that they gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There's some application to this passage that I want to share with you. One, it's okay if your prayers are run on sentences. <laughs> some application first they went to their friends that's the first thing they did once they were released of all that took place they went to their friends can I tell you I I cannot stress enough that you need people in your life that you can go to under any circumstance if you've just gone out of jail (laughs) you need friends that you can go to If you have been lambasted in front of governing authorities, you need friends that you can go to. Uh, If there's a moment where an incredible, overflowing sense of the Spirit in your life, where you spoke in a way that's sort of like, holy cow, did this really just happen? You need friends that you can go to in a moment's notice. And so they went to their friends. And I like that it says, they went to their friends. Because I hear all too often here, nobody came and asked me. Nobody came and asked me how I'm doing. They went to their friends. Can I encourage you to go to your friends? To find your people and go to your friends? Because here's the picture that I get (laughs) in this scene and probably why there was a run-on sentence in their prayer. Because there was probably a ton of excitement in the room. I would suggest that there was a lot of emotion and a lot of excitement that was in that room in that moment. Peter and John probably burst in and they're like, guys, you will never imagine what just happened. Like, you'll never imagine. Like, there was a guy who's been at the temple for decades. I bent down and I spoke to him. I said, get up and walk. And guess what? He stood up and he walked. And he clung to me for the rest of the day. And he was one of those people that I'm like, I love this, but it's just too close to my personal space. It was probably something like that, I suggest. And then we got arrested. 
and we got thrown into jail for the night. And then we got accused and even really somewhat bullied by them the next day. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just felt this empowerment to speak. And I told them about Jesus and his resurrection and the power of his life. That it's only through his name that people can be saved. And I just did it. That's what happened. That's what I suggest that probably took place in that moment. And so he went to their friends and they shared their testimony. You'll never imagine what just happened. So share your testimony. They reported what took place. Go to your friends. Share what God is doing in your life. And then friends, we're all friends, okay? You have friends. When a friend comes to you with a report, comes to you if season difficult or not, what is their response? Let's pray about it. That's what they did. Well, let's pray together. Let's glorify the Lord together. They even went through a system of prayer that I love. Well, they started off with, Oh, sovereign Lord, is how they begin their prayer. This all took place. God is in control of all of it. Just got thrown into jail. God's in control. He's sovereign. He understands. Just got uh, ridiculed and bullied in the public temple square. That's all right. God's in control. He understands what's going on. And so they declared who God is. Sovereign Lord. They even go into uh, quoting scripture. He made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And that whole run-on sentence about how the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain, that they're against the Lord and his anointed one, that in the city where they gather together, Pontius Pilate and Herod and the Gentiles and the Israelites, they're against Jesus, the Holy One, and it says to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Oh, Lord, you're in control of all of it. You are sovereign and over all and in all and through all. Uh, so they accepted that, that this is all taking place and it's God's plan. And we're going to submit to it. But then they uh, requested. Then they make the requests. Uh, <clears throat> it says, um, stretch out your hand to heal. Look upon the threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And so they made their requests before the Lord. So they prayed together. And then as much as I would love for this to happen now, I just, I've never experienced it, but then the place began to shake. Power of God in the room. And they, sh they were shaking, the place began to shake, and so they prayed, and then they continued to speak with boldness. They continued in faith. They continued in difficult circumstances. They knew they were going to be persecuted. They continued anyway. They continued to speak with boldness. Uh, Emily, Danny, and team, you guys can come on back up. That they would continue to speak that Jesus, above all, the resurrection of his life and body, that, that is where we receive our power that we would speak with boldness. And boldness is known in this passage is translated to courage, that they would speak with courage. And something that we say to our boys all the time is that courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the overcoming of fear. 
People who are courageous doesn't mean they don't have fear. People who are courageous overcome that fear. In the midst of that fear, in that midst of uncertainty, in that uncomfortability, they push through and they overcome it. That's what courage is. Because I'm certain there was probably moments of fear still. (laughs) Knowing Peter, there was definitely moments of fear still in his life. And yet he pushed forward because of the promises of God, the authority given to him, and the filling of the Spirit. So I want to finish with this. Verse 32. Uh, this, is the, this is the idealistic, the, the, the wonderful picture of the early church, right? Uh, I think many of you have probably heard this before. Uh, if not, here we go. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful passage that is. And uh, I'm both reminded, encouraged, and challenged by that passage. <clears throat> In the last week, uh, I've heard multiple reports of that the Lord moved in such a powerful way in my life last week. Here in this room, downstairs of this building, in in your dorm rooms or at home, and in conversations with other people, the Lord moved in some really powerful ways. Praise the Lord. I've also heard reports of, uh, I sat up here for a while and nothing happened. Like I sat here and there was like literally nothing. And I had four people come and pray for me. And I thought, okay, this is going to be it. And then like nothing happened. Those reports I've also heard uh, this last week as well. And I read this passage. (laughs) And I think, okay, there's some things we need to talk about. (laughs) Like like hearing reports of this power of the Holy Spirit first, I think we need to just address the concept that it's not just about a feeling of power. Like the empowerment of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit, it's not just a dopamine hit. It's not just a spiritual dopamine hit that we seek for as we sit at an altar. There's more to it than that. I think maybe there's some people who haven't received that because they're just looking for that dopamine hit. Good timing, right? In. <laughs> it's, it's not a shockwave of emotion. I think there are other people in this room as well that don't, real, don't have that sense of the Spirit's empowerment in their life uh, because there's sin in your life. Because there's sin that the Lord is looking for you to repent and confess of. Peter, actually, in his sermon in chapter 3, he says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And so there might be sin in your life that you can come to a place, a safe place, and confess and repent that the Lord would bring refreshment in your life. 
And third, because I think we have a narrow focus of this power, right? We think the power is that of standing in front and declaring in front of people, right? That's what we think the power is. Yes, there's boldness and courage that he gives us. But I also see in this last section, what about the power of unity that the early church showcased? What about the power of devotion? The power of sacrifice? What about the power of prayer and of testimony? What about the power of selflessness and generosity? It says there was no needy person among them. No needy person among them. To me is a greater miracle than a 40-year-old man standing on two legs. Like that's a wonderful miracle but the power of the Holy Spirit in the entirety of the community of people selling their homes, their fields and possessions to give to those who are in need. It's all the early believers. They confused the culture. They confused them because they took care of one another. They were devoted to each other. They were faithful to their spouses. They held to their convictions and they showed love and forgiveness to those who did them harm. That takes power. Oh my goodness. Yes, the early church grew through the preaching of God's word. But it also grew because people noticed, oh my goodness, these people have been with Jesus. Oh my goodness, these people must be a part of that way. They must be following that guy. What's his name again? Oh, yes, Jesus, that person. That's where they took notice. Would you stand with me? I don't have the corner uh, the market of the corner of the power of the Holy Spirit. Like there are, there are areas that I have faith in. There are areas that I feel quite sure and secure in. But there are areas that I still think, huh, well, why not now? Or why not then? Or why couldn't have it been? I don't have those answers. But I know that the Lord is sovereign. <laughs> and he is in control. And he is in all and over all and through all. Amen. And so maybe tonight, the application part is you need to go to some friends. You need to share about what's going on in your life. And maybe you can pray together and build and encourage and support and love one another. Maybe tonight you need to come to a place of repentance and say, Lord, I need forgiveness from you again in this moment. And maybe you just need to come to the front and request once again, Lord, I would love I would love to be empowered by you, not just for the emotional charge of it, but to be used by you to declare your name to those who don't yet know you. Yes? Let me finish with this quote. I love this quote. Dr. Stephen Lawson. He said, God is more concerned for your godliness than for your giftedness. God is more concerned for the depth of your maturity than the breadth of your ministry. God is more concerned with your character than your career and holiness in the lives of his people is his utmost importance. 
My prayer for you is that this world would look at you and say, wow, (laughs) they have been with Jesus. And so, Lord, we give you this moment now. What you're doing in our hearts, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, we believe that you are here with us, that we are in your presence. We believe, God, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that your hand and your will will take place. And so we submit to it. Seasons of difficulty, Lord, the, the treasures of darkness, we accept them for what they are. And we ask, Spirit, that you continue to lead us and we would follow you. Uh, seasons where there's that refreshment and that filling. Thank you, Lord. How good you are that you would give such sweet gifts to your children. And we say thank you, Lord. Uh, Lord, we confess. I confess. Lord, I repent of, of the areas of my life that do not bring glory to you. The areas of my life that are full of pride. The areas of my life that are full of of things that are clearly against your will for me. Lord, I repent. And Lord, I desire. I desire for more of your presence. I desire for more of your goodness. I desire for this empowerment. Uh, Spirit of the living God, I pray you fall fresh. I pray this over all of us tonight, Lord. I pray this in your name. So the band is going to take some time and lead some songs, but we're going to give you an opportunity and a space. Maybe you need to go and pray with a friend right now. Share about what God's doing in your life, good and bad, and pray together. Maybe you need to come up to the front, spend some time in confession and repentance, and in requesting for the Spirit to move in you. Let's sing. Let's pray together.